Hello and welcome back to Tackling Football with Chloe Singer. Today we'll be discussing what happened this past weekend, how teams need to adjust moving forward, and we'll talk a little bit about a team that's on the rise and one in which I think could have a massive fall from grace. Then we'll pivot and talk about power rankings, why we have them, and some teams that I think are being really misranked after this past weekend. Lastly, we'll cap off with some game predictions for next week, week four in the NFL. But first, I wanted to give a huge thank you for everyone that decided to listen to this podcast today. If you haven't already, please give the podcast a follow Give this episode five stars and leave a comment letting me know what you think about this upcoming week of games. After each week of the NFL season, we have more information. We get a better sense of which teams we should pay attention to, which are irrelevant, and teams we are completely wrong about. So here's what I know after week two. Number one, three NFC South teams are 2-0 for the first time in the division's history. I have been beating the drum on the NFC South all off season. I thought this division could surprise because in a lot of ways, that's just the natural evolution of the NFL. The NFL doesn't want the same teams to dominate every year. And that's why we have the draft and the schedule designed around leveling out the playing field. And so far it's working. So I'm going to stick to my guns and say that both the Saints and the Falcons make the playoffs. The Saints have a lot of weapons on offense, especially with Kamara coming back in week four. They just need to figure out how to use them. Arthur Smith, the Falcons head coach, continues to do more with less. The team plays to their strengths and the defense has taken a much needed step forward, allowing just the third fewest yards of any team through two games. Number two, the Steelers' defense looks back in form. In many ways, I found watching Monday Night Football very comforting because the Steelers looked like the Steelers team I know, the Steelers of old. One that will beat you up up front, agitate the quarterback, and create turnovers to put their offense in favorable positions. If anything, watching the Steelers' defense take form against the Browns said a lot more to me about the 49ers team they played a week ago. I said this in my preseason predictions podcast. The 49ers are my pick to win the Super Bowl. I'm standing by it. Through two weeks, I think that they looked like the best team in the NFL. The third thing I know is Matthew Stafford is back. In the preseason, there was no team I doubted more than the Rams. I thought their defense was a liability given its use, 
And without Cup, I thought Sean McVay and Stafford would struggle to start the season. Boy, was I wrong. In the offseason, when rumors circulated that the Rams wanted to trade Stafford, I figured it was because he had lost a step. He's 35 and has been plagued by injuries, including a lingering elbow injury last season. But Stafford looks healthy, and he has shown why the Rams traded for him. Stafford can elevate his supporting cast. This is no knock on Tudu Atwell and Paku Nakua, both of whom I am sad I did not pick up in fantasy. But I don't think these guys would be emerging in the way they are without the play of Stafford and the scheme of McVay. The Rams' defense has also been able to contain two explosive offenses, allowing the Seahawks and 49ers to convert on just 22.2% of their third downs. I think this Rams team is here to stay, and I think they'll be playing in January. The fourth thing I know is the Giants are in capital T trouble. New York had its best comeback since 1949. And that does not mean that they played an amazing game. It means that they almost got themselves in an insurmountable hole. I do not get it when people see a comeback and think this team is amazing. To me, it just goes to show the mess they made, how the team was unfocused or underprepared. But I digress. The Giants were expected to bounce back from a brutal 40-0 loss to Dallas this weekend by beating up on an Arizona Cardinals team that is rebuilding. Instead, the Giants went down 20-0 at halftime, unable to find a way to put points on the board or generate pressure on Arizona's quarterback, Joshua Dobbs. And the Giants' schedule does not get easier moving forward. They play at San Francisco, Seattle, then at Miami and at Buffalo. In all likelihood, this team starts one and five. And I don't see a way they can claw themselves out of that sort of deficit and make the playoffs. The fifth thing I know is it's time to start panicking about the Bengals. I said last week, Burroughs calf was still an issue and It was made clear this weekend that Burrow's been playing through injury and ultimately re-aggravated his calf at the end of the game. I normally would not put too much weight in the Bengals starting 0-2 if I knew Burrow was healthy. But this calf injury will be an issue for the rest of the season. Burrow's injury was reported as a grade one calf strain and soft tissue injuries are known for lingering and can take six weeks or more to fully heal. Strains usually heal with some amount of scar tissue, which isn't as pliable or flexible as regular muscle tissue. Therefore, restretching it before it's fully healed can lead to a setback. And on Sunday, Burrow clearly had a setback. He pushed his calf more than it could handle. And I think it would be wise for the Bengals to sit him out for a stretch of games to make sure that this injury fully heals. However, that decision comes with a cost. The Bengals are already 0-2 and lost two key divisional games. If Burrow sits out the next two games versus the Rams and the Titans, the Bengals could fall to 0-4. 
Given the Bengals' bad start and how tough their division is, I think it's time to panic on the Bengals' postseason hopes. Even if Burrow comes back and plays, I don't think he will ever be 100% this season. It feels weird to say after two weeks, but I don't think that the Bengals will make or come close to the playoffs in 2023. As a side note, Andrew Luck suffered a very similar calf injury in March of 2019 and ultimately decided to retire before the start of the season. Luck's tear was grade two, and he also suffered many other injuries throughout his career. But it is worth noting that this injury should not be taken lightly. Every week, power rankings come out, re-ranking teams throughout the league. They are generally fun lists to read and helpful reminders about how the way we think about teams changes from week to week. This week, every power ranking is high on the Cowboys. And with good reason, the Cowboys have put together two dominant performances versus the Giants and the Rogers list Jets. Next week, the Cowboys should continue this trend by handily beating the Arizona Cardinals. On almost any sports channel or news site that you turn on, America's team is probably being discussed and lauded. But we all know that the media will build you up just to tear you back down. And no team is getting puffed up more than the Dallas Cowboys. So enjoy the love now, because come December, Dallas is set to play the Eagles at Buffalo, at Miami, and the Lions, who are all considered top 10 teams right now. And when things get harder and Dallas inevitably loses two or three or four games in a row, the media will give them hell. My point is that power rankings tend to overreact to recent events, and they tell incomplete stories. They'll say, Dallas is great, to the victors goes the spoils, the Jets can't win without Rodgers, and make these assertions without any context. And then, a couple weeks later, what were we thinking? McCarthy can't coach, Dallas struggles in the fourth quarter, Dak Prescott's turning the ball over. It's just snap judgments either way. And in fairness, it's kind of hard not to make leaps given that we only have information from two games. But some of the placements on this week's power rankings are just head scratchers. For instance, based on ESPN's power rankings, the Detroit Lions are the eighth best team in the NFL, while the Minnesota Vikings are the 25th. The Vikings were due for some regression back to the mean after going 13-4 last season and winning 11 one-possession games. However, it could be argued that this team, absent a few turnovers in key moments, could be 2-0. In Week 1 versus the Buccaneers, Kirk Cousins threw a pick in the red zone before the end of the half, taking at least three points off the board. And in Week 2, also right before the end of the half, 
Justin Jefferson fumbled the ball out of the end zone. And instead of a Vikings touchdown, the Eagles were able to get a 59-yard field goal before halftime. Therefore, Jefferson's turnover resulted in a 10-point swing in the game. In total, the Vikings had seven turnovers in the first two weeks, which some could say, you see, that means that they are not a strong team. However, I would argue that the Vikings will not usually average three and a half turnovers per game, that this number was a little bit of bad luck, and I expect them to get back on track. On the other hand, the Lions beat up the Chiefs in a very unchief-like performance in week one, missing both Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. The Chiefs just looked out of sorts. And so while the Lions do deserve to be praised for the win, it feels like this team is being knighted before they've really done anything. This season is far from over and there is still a lot to play for in the NFC North, with all teams only separated by one game. Another team whose position on ESPN's power ranking surprised me was the Tennessee Titans. To me, the Titans are the ultimate underdogs. They exude Mike Vrabel's toughness and always seem to be in games and find a way to win. Through the first two weeks, the Titans have been able to play hard-nosed defense and find a way to move the ball offensively. But they do have some notable deficiencies. Their ranking as the 22nd team may be right, but for the wrong reasons. So let's talk about why I think they're worth a little bit more consideration than what they're being given. I will say I am a little biased because I love the type of football that they play. The Titans are so fun to watch because they're scrappy and well-coached and play well in big moments. In tennis, games are often won and lost on the big points, break point opportunities, second serve opportunities, and game points. Football is no different. You have to convert when it matters most, on third downs to extend drives, and in the red zone. Since coming to the Titans, Rabel has excelled in these moments. On defense and on offense, Rabel has outperformed league expectation in both third down conversions and red zone scoring. I tallied the numbers and during Vrabel's tenure with the Titans, they have scored a touchdown on 66.3% of red zone drives, way more than the league average, 58.4. And on defense, they have given up a score in the red zone on only 56.4% of drives. If we look behind these numbers, it's easy to understand why they do so well in these moments. On offense, the Titans put themselves in favorable third downs where they only have a short distance to gain. And on defense, Vrabel is great at designing concepts to contain in the secondary and allow his pass rush time to get to the quarterback. At this point in the season, based on what I know about this Vrabel coach team, it would be hard for me to put this team behind the Rodgers list Jets, the Commanders and Buccaneers who have a few wins, but really have not played anyone. Yet, it also does feel like this team has a ceiling. 
that is capped. Their offensive line is undergoing major changes, replacing all five starters from two years ago, which has significantly strained the Titans' power run game with Henry, who's only averaging 3.6 yards per attempt so far this year, and has led to Tannehill being under constant pressure, having to take eight sacks and being pressured 19% of plays. Offensive line play will be a huge determinant of their success this season. If Tannehill has enough time to throw and make plays off the run game, this team will finish around 500 this year. When all is said and done, the Titans may be a bottom third team. Personally, I think they'll end up getting around eight wins this season. But to me, this just raises larger questions about the way in which we talk about teams in these rankings. What are we trying to measure? If power rankings are meant to calculate the team's strength of performance in one week, that's fine. Then I would argue the Titans should be way higher given their performance versus the Chargers. If it was truly about each week, there was no way that you could then put the winless Chargers ahead of the Titans. Or are these rankings about how we see teams holistically in what we project to be their overall strength throughout the rest of the season? In that case, I would argue the Vikings are way too low. Power rankings are supposed to be a fun way to evaluate different teams from week to week. I get that. I just wish that they were more consistent. That way you could actually decipher what they mean and then have some real commentary about a team. So far, my predictions record has not been what I had hoped for. I'm currently two and four on the year, but I feel good about this week's picks. So much so that instead of picking three games, I've decided to throw in two more. The first game I'm looking at is the Steelers at the Raiders. The Steelers are one and a half point underdogs. And I get that the Steelers are on the road, but to me, they are clearly the better team. The Raiders have not scored more than 17 points this season and go up against another strong defense in the Steelers. I think the Steelers win this game outright, which makes me love picking them as underdogs versus the spread. The second game I'm looking at is the Falcons at the Lions. The Lions are three-point favorites at home. And while I love the Falcons, I think this is a great spot to bet on the Lions. The Falcons just won a very close come from behind game against the Packers and they played well in week one versus the Carolina Panthers. But I think they have a letdown here on the road. I think the Lions offense will challenge the Falcons defense in a way that they haven't been challenged previously playing rookie Bryce Young and Jordan Love in his second start without key offensive pieces in Bakhtiari and Christian Watson. The Lions get this game. I like them at home. 
The third game I'm looking at is the Tennessee Titans at the Cleveland Browns. I've been talking about the Titans all day today, and I like them as three-point underdogs in this matchup. I think this game will be highly competitive and low-scoring. The battles on the offensive and defensive lines will be fun to watch. I think the Browns' offensive line versus the Titans' defensive line will be a strength on a strength. On the other side of the ball, the Browns' defensive front could cause some problems for the Texans' offensive line. Ultimately, I expect this game will come down to a couple of key explosive plays and turnovers. I trust Vrabel and the Titans to be the ones to capitalize on those plays and not be the ones to make the errors. Give me Tennessee plus the points. The fourth game I'm looking at for this weekend is the Carolina Panthers at the Seattle Seahawks. The Panthers are road underdogs by six points, and they haven't really been able to put together a complete performance yet. So it's natural that the Seahawks would be favored in this matchup as they are the better team and they're playing at home. However, this six points feels way too big. I think that the Panthers will be able to put together a much better game plan this week for Seattle, whose secondary has been having issues all season long. In week one, I said the Seahawks were going to blow out the Rams and the Seahawks let me down. So this week I'm saying the Panthers are able to keep it close with the Seahawks due to their weak secondary and they're able to beat the spread. The last game I'm targeting for this weekend is the Buffalo Bills at the Washington Commanders. I like the Bills in this spot to win by more than a touchdown. They just dominated the Raiders and I think they will come back and dominate the Commanders this week. I think their performance versus the Jets in week one is something that they are completely embarrassed of. And now, especially when they're playing an easier opponent, they are going to go out there and score as many points as they can hang on the commanders. I think that the Bills D really clamps down on them. I don't see the commanders scoring more than a touchdown in this game. Washington has a good defensive front, but just too many vulnerabilities in their secondary. So long as the Bills offensive line can keep Allen clean, they should dominate an overachieving commander's team. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'll be releasing clips to YouTube and on TikTok and Instagram later this week. You can find me on all socials at Chloe Tackles. Until next time. Bye.